Hello everyone, Rob Howe here, and welcome to the Diabetics Doing Things podcast. Just wanted to let you know that if you've been listening all the way to this point from the beginning, you're inching ever closer to hearing over 1,000 years of living with type 1 diabetes. Now, certainly there are some similarities in how we all deal with the disease, but I find it super rewarding to dig into the tactics, tips, mindsets, and insights that make us all different. If you hear something new, interesting, or polarizing, drop me a line. I'd love to discuss it. Uh, holler at me on Instagram or shoot me an email. Okay, let's get back to the episode. Okay, so this episode is a little bit different. Not only am I interviewing a pair of T1D parents uh, in Christina and Greg Dooley, uh, they're parents that don't have type 1 diabetes, but their daughter Issa does, uh, but I also get to interview Issa, so you get to hear firsthand what it's like to live with type 1 diabetes from a diabetic perspective of a first grader. Uh, so this first part of the interview starts with a little bit of a conversation uh, between Isa and I and uh, Christina and Greg, you can hear in the background. Uh, and then Christina and Greg uh, let Isa go off and play, and we dig into a little bit more of the issues behind uh, some of the challenges that type 1 parents face. Uh, so uh, really dig into um, you know, the later part of this podcast, but if you want to laugh a little bit and hear some names of some of your favorite T1D personalities in the meantime... Uh, here comes the interview straight from the mouth of Inspired by Isa Dooley. What kind of things do you like um, posting on there? What kind of pictures? <laughs> really? <laughs> With Max and Mia. Yeah. And who are Max and Mia? Yeah. And what else? What other things on Instagram? What do you like to? What do you always ask to look at pictures of on Instagram? Yeah, say it. Bike Beyond. Bike Beyond, yeah. Yeah, we got to meet the Bike Beyond riders when they were in Cleveland, and so we've been following along. And where? Oh, we met them at Ethan's house. Yeah. And what kind? Who? Who do you like to? Whose Instagram do you like to look at of the Bike Beyond team? Sid. 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 Sid's my favorite, too. I love his Instagram. He's so much fun. He's such a nice, nice, kind person. I'm jealous that you got to meet him. Yeah, was he pretty cool? Yeah. You have to say it out. She's nodding. He's his first podcast. <laughs> this is your first podcast? First time you've actually been interviewed. What other what other people have you met from Instagram that you met in person from, mm-hmm. that had T one D? Do you remember? Who are some of your favorite people? Mary. Mary. Mary Lucas. Yeah. Yeah. Mary so great. And and who else? Besides Nick Jonas. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, what's uh, what's something that you you would want everybody to know um, about about Isa, even even if it's not about T one D, just uh, just something you like. What are some things you like to do? Yeah, gymnastics. What else? Tennis. She has a purple belt in Taekwondo. Ooh. 
pretty cool, I think. Only because that means you're tougher than I am. And if you want to do body and then I said no, because you have to bow to all the, all the ranks. Oh, that's why. Yeah. <laughs> and you didn't want to because you said that you, you were older. <laughs> what other things? Singing, dancing, anything like that you want to tell Rob about? Singing. Yeah. What who, about it? Who are your favorite musicians? Kids Bop Kids. Oh, the Kids Bop Kids. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Anything else? You're kind of, just kind of a little bit of a stagnant interview. Yeah, you're kind you. of quiet. You want him to see you? Look at that! Hi there. There it is. See? Is that easier? He's just a regular person. Yeah, this is me. <laughs> hey, check it out. I got my uh, I got my, my pump. You can see my pump oh. here. You what were you going to ask Rob? Ask him. What we talked about, we were talking about before we eat dinner. What did you ask? What were we talking about? About your liver? What's your pump's name? What's my pump's name? Um, I you know I've never I, I've never actually thought about that. I've never really named it. Uh, what's your pump's name? I didn't name my pump. I named my Dexcom. Oh, you, what'd you name your Dexcom? Buttock Beeper. <laughs> <laughs> you came up with that name. <laughs> no, I didn't come up with that yes, name. Yes, you did. No way. Yes, you did. No. What, yeah. Who else? What other fun names have you heard of people's pumps or their Dexcom? Mm. Which one? Becky Beeper. Becky Beeper. <laughs> okay. Who's Bella. Her friend Bella is Becky Beeper. And then what's the one I told you? What was Libby's? Rob's talked to Libby before. Yeah. I know Libby. Mm. Dexter. Dexter, yep. Yeah. And that's for her Dexcom. Yeah, her pump was Dexcom. <laughs> how about this, uh, Issa? How about if I, um, I, I will, I'll make you a deal. I will come up with a name for my pump, and before I publish this episode, I'll tell you guys what it is. Sounds like a good, sound like a good deal. You've, in, you've inspired me to name my pump, so I'll come up with a good name for it. Deal. Yep. Yeah. All right. <laughs> there was one thing because I did I read her some of the questions that you had oh, sent me. Yeah. So what was the remember the question that we talked about? I was about any kind of crazy highs or lows that you had, and you got super excited when you were telling me about the crazy couple of days you had. What you want to tell Rob about that? One time I had one hundred three days four days in a row. Just 100 the whole time? Not the whole time, <laughs> just one time every day. One time every day. Oh, wow, just like a, just a, a streak of 100s? Yeah. That's that's wild. I, I've never done that. That's super cool. <laughs> what was the other one? You said something about your 57 on your Dexcom, which I for me doesn't Dex sound great. But. <laughs> My Dexcom said 57, and I was 57. <laughs> so it was right on? It was all calibrated up? <laughs> well, that's super fun. Anything else? Any other exciting things you want to share with Rob? Mm -hmm. 
Do you want to do you want to tell them maybe about like you're going to be going back to school in a couple of weeks? Do you want to tell them what happens when you go to school? Like what do you do in school yeah. and what What's happens if like? you're low or high? What do you have to do? It does to the nurse. Well, tell tell, tell Rob. What do you do? do you, like, just tell us a little bit like about your day you when you – do you ride the bus to school? No. How do you get to school? You drive me. We drive you. And then what happens when you get off – when you get out of the car you walk in the door? Um, go to my classroom. Okay. Mm. And then what? And then – What like happens it, when you have to check yourself or something? What do you have to do during the school day? I mean – Miss Gordon calls the nurse, and then the nurse comes to the classroom, and, and then if I know I go to the nurse. Um, what about if, what if you're high? Um, then I have to drink a lot of my water. And you can write a, you can write a marker on it, a water bottle. Oh, you put a line on a water bottle? So <laughs> I you didn't know how much you have to drink. We didn't <laughs> <Yeah>. know that. <laughs> okay. And what about this school year? Are you going to go to the nurse as much? Um, what, what do we talk about? What are you going to do this year? Um, what grade are you going in, first of all? First grade. First, first grade. Mm-hmm. So what are you going to do different this year with diabetes stuff? Um, Tell him. You're not going to the nurse. Stop doing that. You're uh, not going to the you're nurse? You're not going to nurse ever? No, not all the time. Not all the time. Yeah. So who's going to take care of you? Um. <laughs> well, how are you going to do that? How are you going to take care of yourself? Um. Um. Are you okay with checking yourself at school? Yeah. You think so? Yeah. And then what, what do you do? What do you do after you check yourself? Um, and what else do you carry with you? Dexcom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And mom and dad are on the Dexcom too, right? So they can see uh, where you're at? Mm-hmm. What's the craziest thing someone ever has thought your palm, your pod was? Your Omnipod. Tell, tell Rob, what are some of the things that, that people have thought your pod was? Yeah, tell me. Tell oh, Rob. Tell, okay, tell so Rob. Tell, tell that tell same story. Say it, it's funny. Go, Go ahead. ahead. They'll think it's funny. Lean up a little. Yeah. So yeah, say better. it towards here. Lean up so One time yeah. at Chipotle, when me and <laughs> were there, someone asked what my pod was, and then Mom said it was my insulin pump. And then he said, I don't even know what that means. (laughs) (laughs) And you just started cracking up. (laughs) You know what's funny? I met somebody at Chipotle once. The first first time I ever met someone with with a pump, I could see their tubing outside their shorts. So they were wearing shorts and I could see their tube. The first time I ever met another person with a pump was at Chipotle. (laughs) That's pretty cool. That's funny. (laughs) (laughs) And what else? Anything else? Tell them what you had, what you wrote on your pod. One that you had on there like a few days ago. Do not touch my pancreas. (laughs) (laughs) We decorate her Omnipod pods and we have pod painting parties and 
decorating parties. Mm-hmm. What's on you can it show today? It. You can show it to me. No, it's, I don't know a, what it it's is. It's a palm tree on it today. We're trying yeah. to pretend we're still at the beach. Yeah, yes. summer summertime. You got to hold on to summer because school's going to start soon. That's right. Anything else? Any other funny stories? Nothing no else. other funny type one stories? Oh. Oh, what? Mason called um, pod. His Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> Her friend Mason calls his pod his Wi-Fi hotspot. <laughs> that's a way. That's a way better name than I would think of. That's a funny name. Mason sounds funny. Yeah. Do you have any questions for Rob? Yeah. Before what you do go? you have questions you have for him besides what's the name of his of his bump, which we'll find out. Yeah, you'll you'll have the you'll be the first to know. In the know. Any funny, funny questions? No questions. No? You sure? That's it? Well, thank you for talking to me. Yeah. You done? <laughs> you let Dad and I talk now? Can I say you're welcome? Okay. You want to say goodbye? Bye. Bye. Thanks, Isa. This is a little bit different format than most of my shows, uh, which I like. Uh, I'm excited about just kind of like working out in my mind how I'm going to uh, kind of produce this one and make it um, you know, very unique because, you know, Isa being on it and then uh, obviously you guys. So why don't you kind of walk me through, give me the background, you know, tell me a little bit about yourselves um, and then kind of walk me through Isa's story and, and how we got to today. Okay. So... We, uh, we are from Ohio, which is where we, where we live, but we were living abroad for about five years for Greg's job and when Isa was diagnosed. So she, uh, the kids were actually born in Argentina, and I should mention she's a triplet. So they were born uh, while we were living in Buenos Aires, and we moved from Argentina to Mexico City, and shortly thereafter, um, probably about eight months, nine months mm-hmm. after Isa was diagnosed there and we have never, we didn't have anybody in our family with type one. We knew nothing about it. It was, we, we had to do obviously a ton of research when she was diagnosed. Um, and being away from family, I would say that was probably one of the hardest parts about her diagnosis was that we were living in another country. The healthcare was great. We had, we were really blessed to have a great endocrinologist from the start in Mexico city. So that was, extremely helpful in the process for us and we we actually we just joked with somebody today that we were meeting with a a friend of ours who's an adult with type 1 and and we said that when Issa was diagnosed she was diagnosed just before her second birthday we hadn't been sleeping anyway for the previous two years (laughs) and so it just kind of so really we haven't slept since 2010 so um so that's that was her uh our, our experience when she was diagnosed and her diagnosis story, I think sounds like a, a lot of like many, many young children's diagnosis story in that she was drinking a lot, wetting through her, her diapers at night. And we just thought it was were, they were normal toddler behaviors. And right. a teacher, a preschool teacher asked us to bring a bottle into school, a water bottle into school for her because she just kept asking for something to drink. And, for some reason, it just triggered in us that there was something 
off that her brother and sister didn't need that. Why did she need that? So of course we, you know, did the, the magic of Google and looked up all these things and called the pediatrician. He had us bring her in for your analysis. And then that was, that was the start of the story. So we, again, it was, I wouldn't, and I, I wouldn't ever use like words like traumatic or anything like that when sure. she was diagnosed because we didn't, we didn't really understand. I think at that point, the extent of, of what that meant. We knew that we were going to have to manage it, but we, I, I've told people before that when they told us we could leave the hospital after she was in the hospital for um, four days and when we left, I thought, how are they letting us leave the hospital? I can't believe they're letting us go to do this because I don't feel like we know what we're doing. And even that weekend, I remember us calling the pediatrician just to confirm that we were doing things right because it just didn't feel like it. And now it's just such second nature for us. Yeah, just to add, um, I you know now in my mind right now going through some of those first moments of diagnosis or after the diagnosis and those first um, you know a few hours and a couple days in the hospital and something that you said a minute ago of um, you know just meeting with families in in a hospital setting and um, you know you didn't use these words but I'm sure you saw looks of just shock and um, and, and for sure sadness and just not really understanding what's going on and why. And I think for us, we were fortunate. So, so we had all those things happen to us. So we, you know, there were definitely tears in the hospital. Um, there was the, you know, why is this happening to us type of questions that we knew we could never answer. Um, and there was also, you know, we were very fortunate that we had a, a really great endocrinologist, um, and we're still in touch with him today. Um, you know, now we're five years, almost five years down the line of uh, diagnosis, and still in touch with that endocrinologist, even though you know we're no longer living in Mexico City. So he's kind of followed us, and, and stay we stay in touch. And um, I'm mentioning that because he was a big influence on us in terms of our our approach and our. Um, view of what this might mean for us and for our family and for our daughter. So I remember him telling us, you know, probably one of the first times we met with him that, you know, this is going to be a big challenge, um, but it's not going to be impossible and you guys are, you know, going to be able to manage through this. And, you know, even to the point of, you know, he arranged or he reached out to his network and he had a, another, uh, a mom of, uh, actually multiple children with type one. If I recall, she has maybe three kids with type one and her husband has type one. Uh, she came to visit us in the hospital that first day, I believe it was. Wow. And, you know, she had a very similar message. And here we are looking at this woman who's got basically an entire family with type one telling us that this isn't the end of the world. Um, so for us, I think that message on day one was really important for us. Um, you know, not only just in terms of, um, you know, physically, how are we going to manage all this, but emotionally and that the emotional side is, you know, as you know, you know, maybe even better than we do. The emotional side is, is often a bigger challenge than just the daily physical things you have to deal with. Um, but you know, that for us was really important in terms of how we how we viewed this challenge. And, you know, we know other families or we've heard of other families where, that was not the case. You know, they, they went up against 
um, or their endocrinologist or pediatrician at the time basically started giving them a list of things they weren't going to be able to do, you know, starting that next day. Right. And that was definitely not our experience. Um, and, you know, we literally sitting in the hospital room on the first, I think it was that first evening, um, you know, as we're wiping away tears, we're thinking and talking through what are, how are we going to use this, um, you know, this thing that has just impacted our life and dramatically changed what this, what our lives are going to look like going forward and what our daughter's life is going to look like. How can we turn this into something positive? Um, and you know, we, that day we started a Facebook page. We started the inspired by Isabella Facebook page. Um, and we did that because we wanted to, we decided immediately. And again, this is going back to what I said about that, those initial, um, comments that were made to us about how we maybe should be approaching this. Um, and so we saw it as maybe an opportunity to, to educate people starting with our friends and family, um, and do some things to raise awareness and, you know, try to put a positive spin on, on, you know, a diagnosis that no one wants to, to have, or, you know, joining the club that no one wants to be in. Right. Joining that big family that, uh, yeah. that nobody ever asked for. For sure. Um, I'm really glad you brought up those first moments uh, and those first interactions with the doctors um, following the diagnosis, because I think like for a lot of reasons, that is the most important moment for at least the first few years of a type one's life. Right. Because, um, you know, you're going through and you're processing all those emotions of why did this happen to me? Is, is everything going to be okay? Um, where do we go from here? Do we know enough? Are we prepared? I feel like we've just been drinking from a water hose of information for the last 12 hours, right? Um, and for me, I did, I never clicked for me that I had had a, an amazing diagnosis experience and I had the best uh, staff at Children's in Dallas and an amazing endocrinologist that I'm still friends with on Facebook today um, because I, I just didn't know any better and that was my experience. And until I started talking to people on the podcast and in the community online about the, the range of diagnosis experience and the range of education and awareness among endocrinologists and doctors, you know, even doctors who are diagnosing people who aren't endocrinologists in small towns. Um, it, it can go so badly. Uh, so, you know, to hear that, you know, that was a huge difference maker for you guys when in, you know, in a foreign country, uh, it, total crapshoot. Uh, and then you just have, you know, one of these great people who, uh, right from the start understands the things that you need to hear, not only hearing from the doctor, but also from somebody who's not a doctor. Um, it doesn't really have anything to gain or lose by telling you any information comes in and says, Hey, it's going to be okay. Yeah. Yeah. And, and even, um, beyond that. So as we started to share our story, um, you know, through initially Facebook and, um, you know, probably early on a little bit on Twitter. Uh, but we were active on Facebook and we would get, you know, similar messages and stories from people from across the world. Um, you know, definitely people across the country, but we were getting messages from people in other countries that were saying, um, you know, thank you for sharing, whether it was a picture of Isa or, um, you know, something that we had shared early on and just, commenting to us about how that inspired them. Maybe they had, you know, they were an adult with type one and seeing our daughter 
um, dealing with this struggle and seeing our approach to that, you know, really inspired them to maybe make some differences in terms of how they were approaching things. Um, and though, you know, those positive messages and positive reinforcements for us, I think really, especially in those early days, help keep us going. And, you know, especially during some times that were really tough for us uh, emotionally. Well, and, and I think, you know, the, the emotional, the emotion around that is, you know, is really relatable. And you, you guys said uh, initially, you know, that your diagnosis story is like many others, uh, uh, you know, pediatric young kid diagnosis, diagnoses. But on the other end is like, I, I would argue that it's not completely the same because you guys of the mindset that you guys took, I mean, you can take this devastating piece of information a lot of different ways, you know, and I, you know, hate to use the word devastating, but you know, it, it can, it's a heavy piece of info um, and, you know, peak emotional moments for all, every, everyone involved. And you can choose to look at it like, Oh no, why me? Or you can, you know, do what you guys have done and use it as a platform to, you know, raise awareness and help other people uh, and chronicle your journey. And, you know, because of that, I think you reciprocate that positive energy in those, uh, those people who are reaching out and telling their stories. So, um, I would argue that you guys had a, you know, less than uh, normal diagnosis experience. Yeah. Well, and I think part of it, I mean, one of the things that we have intent, been very intentional about is how we, how we talk about diabetes, how we talk about the impact that it has on Issa's life, our, our lives, her siblings' lives. We have not, I, I think it would be a very rare moment for, to find us where we are talking about the talking about the things that it may limit her in doing. And actually, even if I think if she were sitting here and you asked her, you know, to list something that she can't do because of type one, she's still so young that she has never. We've never told her that there's going to be a time in her life. At, you know, at, at some point where someone may tell her that she can't do something because she has type one, that would be so foreign to her right now that that whole concept, because we've never, we've never made it about, we've never said that to her, you know, like you can't do that. Or you can't, you know, you can't go to the birthday party because <laughs> you can't have this or you can't, you know, and, and so I know, you know, pa parents all parent in their own way and the way that they think is best. And so with Isa we have just made the decision that we don't ever want her to think of this as something that's going to limit her but knowing full well that there will be times when you know she's whether it you know someone is judging her or she's feeling um stigmatized because of whatever it is or or physically she can't do something you know we hope that's never the case but it's a reality but it's not her reality yet and we're trying you know trying to shield her from that i don't know if that's bad but we try to make sure she doesn't think it's you know something that's going to keep her from doing what she wants to do right and i think you have to do that to a certain extent right um because i think there are so many small-minded and the awareness is so low um in some ways um from you know the, the awareness is so low from like the even from the medical community but also just like the general community oh, you guys there Oh. Yes, yeah. it got kind of garbled. Right got a little fuzzy. I think somebody was trying to uh, to Skype in uh, on the other end. Um, so 
back to that question, I think, um, you know, there's so many, there's so little awareness around the community from, um, from people who are, you know, that ESA could interact with every day. And you don't want, you don't want a, a comment that's not even meant to be negative or, uh, is just somebody who doesn't know any better because I think we were all in that, um, in those shoes at one point, if di- if type one diabetes is not directly affecting you in some way or in your family, you, you typically don't have a great amount of awareness about it. Um, which is something that I've had to deal with and, and sort of accept and soften my edges a little bit over the years because mm-hmm. it used to make me upset. Um, but you don't want you don't want an offhanded comment to to make her you know really look in and question those things. So I think as a parent, setting your kids up for you know that I can do anything attitude, even though I have type one. Yes, I have type one diabetes, but I'm still able to do whatever it is I want to put my mind to as long as I'm safe. Mm-hmm. So uh, I want to focus on those those you know after you guys get. The diagnosis, you have this great experience and this great resource in your endocrinologist. You guys are back home um, in either Mexico City or Argentina at this point. And uh, uh, what are those first days like? And how, um, you know, who did you rely on? How did you, uh, how did you get through those days? And, and like you said, you haven't slept since 2010. So, um, you know, walk us through those first few months, even years, as you guys uh, are getting to know type one, and you know, Isa is still you know growing and toddling and 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 you know, becoming a, a you know a child, right? Mm-hmm. Well, she was. So we were living in Mexico City, and one of the one of the true benefits of having, first of all, had the kids be born abroad and, and born in, they were born in Argentina and then having Isa diagnosed in Mexico was that we had access to very inexpensive and very good household help, meaning we had a nanny that lived with us during the weekdays. And I don't, I truly don't believe that if she, if we did not have that kind of help when we lived there, it would have been extremely, I mean, much more challenging than, than it was already. And so we actually, Greg and I were able to stay in the hospital with Isa for those couple of days when she was first diagnosed because our, um, the, the kid's nanny was lived with us. So she was at home with the other two kids. We came home with Isa. Um, our nanny, her name was Lucy. Lucy went through basically type one training with us. She learned how to do injections. She learned how to, um, everything um every single thing that we learned she learned alongside us so it was almost like we had a third we had a third parent almost in some ways helping us with her care and management and we trusted her 100% with Isa and which meant that Greg and I and of course this is not the case with the majority of parents who have a young child diagnosed or even an older child diagnosed Greg and I still were able to Um, it may sound selfish, but go out on date nights. You know, we were still able to do some of those things because we did have another person who knew how to, how to manage Issa's care. She was in preschool at the time. It was a half day preschool and she would start at around nine and at 1030, I would go to the school and I'd check her blood sugar and I would give her, um, she was on injection. So I'd give her insulin injection for her snack at school and then I'd walk back home and then we'd go back and pick them up at noon uh, but she didn't have a Dexcom or anything like that so we we did somewhat train the the teachers there and again we were living in a foreign country so we it was a 
luckily a bilingual school so that everyone spoke English there and Spanish, but we had to learn a lot of the medical terminology in Spanish, obviously. And so anyway, that was our life for the, I would say the first year after her diagnosis, we ended up moving back to Ohio um, less about eight months after her diagnosis and moved, moved back here close to family and, and all of those things. And Issa started on her Omnipod shortly after that. So she, we had a somewhat difficult time finding schooling here in Ohio for her. Um, I, even though how, no matter how, um, illegal it may be. <laughs> Many schools said that they couldn't take her because of the liability um, and they just didn't want, they didn't have nurses on staff at many of the preschools. And finally, there was a, a one preschool that said, you know, we've never had anybody with type one here, but if you're willing to teach us, we're willing to learn. And wow. so uh, we, we jumped at that. And so the kids were there for three years at that school and preschool through kindergarten. And we had a great experience with them. We had many, every year they would put a call, they had no nurse on staff, but they'd put a call out to the teachers and say, whoever wants to be trained on how to help Isa, come and, you know, she'll, Christina will come in and, and train you or Greg will come in and train you. And we did that. And we just showed them how to check her blood sugar. She was on the pump, so we showed them how to use her pump. And then about a year later when she was, four she started on her mm -hmm. dexcom during uh we went to a children with diabetes conference and she was able to do a dexcom trial there and we we kept it after that so she's been on that for three years now wow mm -hmm. um for you guys uh for mom and dad those emotions while you're you know trying to find a school um you heard a lot of no's right um and like you said legal or not um at that point, you're just looking for a solution. Uh, what were those days like? Um, you know, it was it was hard hearing some of the the responses, and I think it became, you know, as Christina was saying earlier, we try, you know, first we never look at type one diabetes as something that's going to limit Isa ever, you know, and and she certainly doesn't think of it that way, um, and it was kind of our first maybe recognition that there's other people that may view it as a limitation and other people that will use it to stop her from doing the things that she wants to do or from going to school that she wants to go to in this case. And, you know, I, there was one response in particular that always stayed in my mind and, and the response from after we toured the school and I think um, Christina had followed up with them or maybe they followed up with us. And they basically said, um, you know, we would love to take Mia and Max. Um, we can't take Isabella. So, you know, if, if you want to send the other two here, we'd be happy to have them. And I just, it was upsetting. Um, but at the same time, even if that was a school we loved, and in this case, it, it wasn't a school that we really loved anyway. Um, but even if that was a school that we really absolutely wanted our kids to go to, that kind of response and um, you know unwillingness to accept someone who is quote different um, for whatever that reason may be, you know that's not a place that we we would want our children to be in, or not a place that we would want to associate ourselves with. Um, so it, it was tough, and also just because of the you know logistics of we had to find a school. You know, we moved back. 
Um, we had just moved into our house, I think, at the time. We are looking at schools, so, and schools are beginning to fill up as well because it's close to the um, start of the new school year. So we were kind of getting concerned of, you know, are we going to find a place or not? And, um, and so it was not only upsetting, but just, um, it, you know, we're dealing with trying to find a school at a time when everyone else is looking for, for schools. So, um, but I, again, that was probably the first realization that, you know, that this could truly become a challenge at some point, whether it's, you know, Issa not being able to, um, you know, get into the school that she wants to go to or not being able to pursue a certain career field that she may want to pursue. Um, and you know, those, are, I, that comment is always in the back of my mind. Yeah. And I, and I think, you know, as a parent, whether you have a child in the, that you know, I think it's a lot more personal when you have a, a child that they consider different or that they can't take for whatever reason, but you face with that decision is like, you know, do I want to set this precedent with mm-hmm. them? And you know, what kind of example does that set? And, uh, but at the same time, it's very challenging because, you know, the, like you said, it, it, your timing is a big part of it, too. Trying to there's, there's always so many different pieces that go into those types of decisions. Sure. Um, always so much information. And, you know, sometimes you just have to make the call. So, uh, you know, I'm, I'm glad you guys were able to do that because I think, you know, a lot of people um, have had similar stories. And, uh, you know, again, it's just a lot of people don't don't realize like and you could probably take. Issa, even at that point, and as young as she was, through a school, interacting all the time, and they might not even be able to tell the difference. And then you tell, and then you tell them that she has type one, and then they, you know, whoa, 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 not, not us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Um, for you guys, you know, in those moments, either you know when you were coming back to the states, or you know early on uh, with the diagnosis, was there ever a moment where you guys were like, you know what? we got this, you know, come what, you know, whatever curveballs are thrown at us. I think we've, um, you know, we're going to, we definitely can do this. We can make it. I think I, I almost hate to say it. I, I think that we had that blanket feeling almost from the beginning. I hate to say it. It sounds a little pompous. I don't know if I should say it. We definitely have had. I mean, there definitely we still have challenges all the time. I do, and we definitely don't mean for it to sound like things are roses every day, and they certainly absolutely aren't. You know, but we, I think, made the determination then that there was no point in us having a pity party about things. That we, um, we are both very firm believers in your children will take their social cues from you. You know, they will take. You know, almost mirror how you, how you react to a situation is how they're going to absorb that. You know that, and so I think from the start we felt like, what can we do? And like Greg mentioned, we were, I remember sitting in the hospital for those couple of nights, and we were online looking up ways to get involved, like ways to do something, because I think it also helped us channel some of some of that fear anger, sadness that we did have, it helped us put it to better use, Mm -hmm. I guess, instead of, again, us sitting in the hospital. And I think a lot of that did come from, um, you know, this woman that came to the hospital that Greg mentioned, who had the couple of children with type one and the spouse with type one, you know, she basically, that was what she did. You know, she, and I think had she not come maybe, and I don't know that it would have changed things all that much, but I do think that it, it nudged us to say, you know what, 
we have to make sure that life for Issa is the best it can be. And if we, if she sees us just sitting around being sad about it, being frustrated and angry all the time about the diagnosis, we're not, we're not doing her any good. And we're not, we're not doing any good for the cause either. You know, yeah. I mean, in terms of helping mm-hmm. to make things better. So we've, you know, we've gotten involved in a lot of things over the last five years. I can't even believe it's going to be five years. Mm-hmm. It's so weird to say that um, because it feels like it's new. <laughs> There's still times when it just still feels new. But, uh, you know, we've been really intentional about the things that we've gotten involved in and exposing Issa to as many opportunities as possible and people. I think her meeting young adults, including like even having this conversation with you today, it's not, she, she takes the, those things when she talks with people that have type one, she, she's, she's, I think like a 35 year old in a, a sexual <laughs> body. She doesn't, she prefers to be around older older kids or young adults as opposed to her peers, peer age. And I think part of that is just because her responsibilities have made her not be able Mm -hmm. to necessarily enjoy all those same benefits of just staying a kid, which is also extremely sad to even say out loud. But um, anyway, I do think a lot of the the people that we've engaged with and, and met through the diabetes online community or the children with diabetes organization or anything like that, I think we've really those have been a lot of the silver linings of, mm-hmm. of this disease. And I, I feel like we could name so many things, you know, so many mm-hmm. things that this is actually people that we've met, especially that have come into our lives because of this. Well, and I think, um, you know, a couple things from, you know, from your response, like I'm continually surprised at how grown up young type one diabetic kids are. Um, I spoke to a teen panel uh, at a JDRF event at Type 1 Nation this year in Dallas uh, for the second year in a row. And just like the, I don't know, it's weird. It's like an emotional quotient. It's like, yes, they're very intelligent. They're able to like make decisions from data about their own bodies and they can look at a pile of food and tell you how many carbs are in it. And they're very smart, but also just very uh, so intelligent emotionally mm-hmm. and can, you know, understand how their mood and their, uh, you know, outlook affects their body and you know how to talk to their parents and how to talk to other adults and just navigate um troublesome waters i guess they're you know because the i like they they just get used to overcoming obstacles um and i think that's so beneficial you know especially where you know today you can take the easy way out of almost anything um and it's just very refreshing and, and inspiring for me to be around people who yeah are like uh, five-year or seven-year-old, 35-year-old, you know, <laughs> and um, on the other end of that, I think, you know, my own experience, I was, and again, to, to echo your your commentary about not wanting to sound pompous, but I pretty much knew from the get-go I was going to be okay. Uh, I was super reassured when my doctors told me everything was going to be fine if I took care of myself, um, but I also wasn't very involved because I was 16 and too cool for stuff, you know, and I was, I was real, I didn't want to go to diabetes camp. I didn't want to do runs and walks. I was like, I was Mr. Too cool for school. Um, but since I've done that and since I've gotten involved, I, I don't think I realized how lonely I was, uh, shouldering all of that, you know, daily walk with diabetes on my own. And so, you know, to hear what you you guys were saying about Issa, 
talking with people and interacting with other type ones and being sort of in her element there and the impact that that has, I totally appreciate it. And it's not just for me, not just emotional, not just like feel good, but also like clinically, I, uh, I've had, I have, since I started diabetics doing things, I think my, uh, A1C was like 7.3. So not super, you know, not super high, not out of control by any stretch. But since then, like now I'm down to 6.1. So, and somebody asked me, I like made a Facebook post about it just on my personal page. And they were like, well, what's different? What did you change? And when I looked at my actual lifestyle, nothing had changed drastically. You know, I was, I'm still relative. I'm pretty healthy. I live a pretty healthy lifestyle. I eat really good. I exercise, but I had just become more open about my diabetes and communicating with other people who are going through the same things as me. And I don't know, just my stress level and like cortisol levels are just much lower about it. And I feel much more in control. So, uh, that's one of the things that I'm rambling right now, but, um, that's one of the things that I try to tell all type ones from the get go. Whenever I do these visits to the hospital education sessions is, the more you can get involved, it sounds really cliche, but the more you can get involved in whatever way that is, whether that's just communicating with people on social media or, you know, doing the walks or going to the events, going to the conferences, uh, those make huge, huge differences in your quality of life. Absolutely. Yeah, I think there's definitely something to be said for being part of a community, whether it's, you know, the type one community or whatever community you're involved in. And, uh, and, you know, I think there's a lot of positive effects of that that, you know, sometimes we either don't think about or just don't even realize. So I think that's all very good points. So for you guys, um, advice for other parents. So because children are complicated um, and every, you know, no matter the age of the diagnosis, anywhere under the age of 18, uh, you know, even up into the 20, early 20s, I think for parents is a, you, you have that shock moment. Uh, talking to my parents years later, um, you know, they were like, well, we, A, thought we were to blame. We didn't really know, you know, there's just like our DNA mixed weird and there, and you know, you got this, you were the one that got it. Uh, we used to sit up nights when I was, when I was in college and I was away from home, they didn't know what was going on uh, and they would worry. What would you tell parents of, uh, recently diagnosed kids, what, um, what advice would you give them? Um, I, I can start with that. I, I would say, you know, some of the things we were talking about earlier is, um, find your support network. So whether that's your doctor, you know, your friends, your family, um, the online community, which is a really great support network for a lot of people, including us. Um, but find that support network because, and just as you were saying, Rob, you know, without it, you kind of, there's something that's missing and you can't always pinpoint what that is. But when you, when you're involved in uh, a community and you, you know that you have support or you know, there's people that you can turn to for support, um, that goes a very long way and, you know, helps with first with a lot of the emotional burden that comes along with either living with type one or, you know, having a small child with type one, um, and being around other people who, you know, quote, get it, um, that's really important. And for us, that's extremely important. So we have, as Christina was saying, you know, we've met a lot of people um, through the online community, through local events, through other events that we've been to, and other, you know, things that we have done to, to raise awareness. Um, 
and that support is it, it's hard to really um, even describe how important it is to us, but it's extremely important. And um, you know, we we have a lot of friends, parents of other children with type one that we've become very close with um, because they understand everything that we're going through, and we understand what they're going through. You know, we can share ideas and tips and um, and just uh, sob stories or whatever it may be, funny stories. And all of that for us has been really, really important. Um, so that, that's really the first piece of advice is just find your people, you know, find people that are going to be supportive. And you're also probably going to come across people who you know are not supportive. And they're, those people are not going to be very helpful for you in this whole journey. And so try to, um, you know, as much as you can, stay away from those kind of people, the people that are, you know, the opposite of supportive, um, because that can really be a drain on, on you emotionally as well. Um, you know, get involved for us. That's been really important. I know that, um, you know, people do what either they can do or, uh, what makes sense for them. So, you know, I don't think just because we're involved in a lot of things that that's the right thing for every parent that's out there. But there's all kinds of different ways to get involved um, uh, with, you know, the, with JRF through Beyond Type 1, through other organizations, um, local, you know, networking groups. So there's lots of ways to do that. Um, you know, our, I, we talked a lot about our approach and how we think that that approach works really well for us. So our approach to parenting, our approach to managing Type 1, um, and that doesn't necessarily – we don't say that because we think that's the only approach. You know, we don't feel that necessarily. We just believe that that's what works for us. Um, so I, I would say for advice to parents is, you know, find what works for you and, you know, keep in mind that your children do look to you in terms of the things you say. And, you know, we're talking about this, a diabetes podcast so the things you say about diabetes, how you react to highs or lows um, you know, how you react to um, uh, choices that maybe your your child has made um, that impact a higher or low, you know, all those sorts of things. And so, you know, we try um, very hard not to overreact to things and not to, you know, make everything be about diabetes. And sometimes that's really, really hard. Um, but we also think it's really important because as as we were saying earlier, you know, our reaction to something as simple as a high blood sugar or a low blood sugar, it may not even be our reaction to Isa. It could be, you know, my reaction to Christina, who was the last one that bolus Isa for lunch. And, you know, now she's 300 and I, you know, I'm wondering what happened and what she ate or whatever. And the way I say that to Christina or ask about it, if Isa's sitting there, you know, she's going to pick up on that. And then, um, you know, whether it's in that moment or at some point later on, you know, she's going to have a different way of thinking about those things. So, um, you know, trying to keep that in mind as well. I don't know. Those are uh, yeah, I guess, I, three pieces of advice. <laughs> I, have, I have two, I think, important, maybe not obvious, but very important pieces of advice for parents. The first is when people offer help, offer to help, take it. I think so many parents don't want to do that. They don't want to burden someone. They don't, yeah. someone's, you know, another, uh, your child's best friend's mother or father say, teach us how to check her blood sugar, his blood sugar. 
teach them. They're asked, they're, they're offering for a reason. Um, this is not something where people just arbitrarily offer stuff. <laughs> I think if they're at, if there's someone that's willing to help you and, you know, even if it's a neighbor who says, you know, teach me how to read the Dexcom or teach me what to do this with this. I want to help you so that you can have, you know, an hour, you know, to go run to the store. You can do this or whatever. Um, take it. Take that that help. Don't don't be too proud to do that. I think that's uh, so many parents try to do everything themselves and you just can't. You can't. You just can't do it, which leads to my second piece of advice, which is I've said um before that one of my favorite quotes that I really need to take to heart myself more is the quote that you can't pour from an empty cup. And so if you are trying to do everything for your child's care and forget about your own care and your own health, there's, that's not good either. You know, you're not, um, you can't be the best parent to your child if you yourself are not managing your own care. So I think that that quote is really relevant for all the the deep parents and caregivers that are out there, whether it's, you know, moms or dads. And I think, you know, one of the things that we talked about at the beginning, Rob, is just that this is a, it's different because it's Greg and I both on here. And I think that's also something that's a little bit different that we've, we've found in the diabetes online community is that you do see a lot of mothers and it's, I don't think it's for lack of dads wanting to help with things. I think it's just a motherly instinct to try to manage everything ourselves. Sure. And so we've really, we are a true team. I mean, we, everything that we do with ESA's care is a team. And, you know, Greg will tell you that I do not do Dexcom changes. I cannot. It's just something I've not been able to um, master or even attempt, really. Um but and then on the other hand, I have no problem if we have to do, you know, mi middle of the night blood sugar checks. We're both getting up to do those things if we need to. You know, we don't, it can't be one person. You have to have a team and you have to let the other person, whether it's the mother or the father, you have to really work on that as well. Because again, you can't, if you're not taking care of yourself, you're not, um, you, you know, your child's care is, is going to fall, mm -hmm. be, you know, not be the best it can be either. And that also extends to, you know, taking care of yourself in terms of, you know, for example, taking time to exercise. So mm -hmm. those kind of things and, and be active and even just get time alone is really important. Mm -hmm. You know, we go, as Christina kind of joked, we haven't really slept through the night since 2010 and <laughs> she jokes about it, but there's, you know, a, a big truth to that. And, um, and so, you know, you go through as a, as a parent of a child with type one where you're managing everything for them and, you know, they can't really, um, you know, either they're not old enough to do things on their own or they're just not there yet. Um, all of that burden falls on you. So whether it's, you know, waking up in the middle of the night, um, multiple times, which happened to us last night, we had a pod change at, you know, 3am or whatever time it was, um, you know, those things take a toll after days and weeks and years of, of doing that. And um, so sometimes you just need time to, you know, take a break and take a rest for yourself. But then the extension and of that. And it's not selfish. No, and I mean, it's that's... not selfish, right. So that's that's a, um, a good point and good, you know, advice for parents to hear. Um, just because you're not, you know, you want an hour to yourself doesn't mean that you're being selfish and doesn't mean that you don't care about your child who whose care you're managing. Um, 
but that also extends to other relationships in your life. So obviously your, your spouse, um, you know, you have to work even that much harder to, um, to maintain that relationship when you're constantly dealing with, you know, sleeplessness or just being exhausted all the time and stressed, um, and worried, all those emotions. Um, and you, you can't lose sight of the fact that, um, there's a lot of relationships in your life that are important and, you know, you don't want those to suffer because of, you know, there's so much focus and you have to put so much focus on type one. So what it means is you have to also make time or find time to focus on those other things that are important, whether it's exercise, eating healthy, you know, your marriage, um, your other children, you know, for us, that's That's, that's really important because especially because we have triplets and, you know, even before diabetes came into the picture, um, there's this constant comparison that happens sometimes in your mind as a parent of how much time you spent with one child versus another or, you know, what you did with this one yesterday. Now you have to, um, you know, make sure you make that up with the other one or there's the whole fairness that comes into it. And especially as our kids have gotten older, you know, I, I think we, we've always tried to, um, as much as we can, give, I don't want to say equal attention, but, you know, make sure that we're giving balance. yeah, balanced attention to all, our, all of our children. And that becomes really difficult when you have a child with type 1 because just, you know, naturally by default, that child is the one that gets a lot of your attention. And... Um, so we, we've tried to find ways to ensure that doesn't happen. And, um, and you know, it, sometimes that's a struggle. Um, so I would say that's a, a, another piece of advice is just the relationships and also with your other children, making sure that you're making time for them. Wow, all uh, amazing, <laughs> amazing perspective um, sort of keeping everything in focus. It's a lot of things to, uh, to juggle at once. Um, I think you guys would be the first to admit that as well. For sure. Yeah. Um, I want to ask one more question, um, kind of before we close, cause I, uh, I've, I've managed to, uh, schedule another interview right back to back. So, uh, look at me, look at me just, uh, balancing and keeping, uh, keeping the juggling and, and doing multiple things at once, uh, in, in play for type, for type ones. But, um, as parents, um, you know, with an amazing outlook and an awesome perspective, what are you most hopeful for, uh, for type one and for, and for Issa and her life? Take that one. You want me to? <laughs> well, I'll, I'll Christina's, I can see her, her mind is, uh, turning. So she's thinking, but, um, you know, I, when you asked that question, my initial thought was, you know, probably the natural response you might expect to hear is, you know, we're hopeful for a cure. We want a cure for our daughter. And it's not my, my response is, is I don't want you to, or listeners to interpret it as I don't want that because, you know, clearly I do. Um, but I look at her and, you know, that's not even as a six year old, you know, almost seven years old, that's not even, a th- really a thought in her mind. Um, you know, in fact, recently there was a time we were watching um, a video that we had made at one point, And um, at the end of the video, I say something along the lines of, you know, support, I think it was a JDRF video. And I, I said, um, 
or maybe the beyond type one, type one, day one video. And, uh, you know, there was a comment in there about, um, supporting efforts towards a cure or something along those lines. And afterwards, you know, I've got tears in my eyes and Issa turns to me and says something like, it, it was something like, I don't, I don't want a cure. And it just kind of like was heart wrenching for me to hear her say that. And I, and I asked her why, why, why would you say that? And she said, well, you know, I like, I like having my pod and I like, um, you know, painting it. And so it was kind of a, almost a childish response to it of, you know, she likes having this, likes being able to paint her pods. That's what she likes about it. It's not that she likes having diabetes. Um, but it's, you know, I guess what I'm hopeful for is, first of all, that there are a lot of advances in technology that help my daughter live a better life. Um, so for us right now, that's her Dexcom, for example, that's been really a lifesaver for us and, um, and is also helping her to better manage everything. So she knows when her Dexcom starts going off and it, it shows that she's, you know, 70 and dropping, she knows that she needs a juice or some glucose tabs. So without that, she may not have been able to make, make that connection. Um, so I'm, I'm really hopeful that, you know, the new technologies that are coming in the near term are really going to be helpful for my daughter and, and, you know, the type one community. Um, you know, I am hopeful that there will be a cure at some point in the future. Um, but that's not really for me today. That's not necessarily at the top of my mind. Um, you know, it's really making sure that my daughter, um, lives every day to the fullest. Um, you know, even with type one, um, that she's able to do everything that she wants to do, whether she has type one or not, that while she has type one, that there's going to be even better technologies that's going to make it easier for her to manage her life uh, or manage her day to day life. Um, and, you know, those are the things, I guess, in the near term that I'm hopeful for. You know, other things I would say is, you know, we do a lot. Um, to share her story and just engage with the type one community. So I'm hopeful that, um, you know, that her story helps to inspire, inspire others and, um, you know, to, to maybe have a different perspective. I don't really have much to add. I, <laughs> I would say I, I echo all the things that Greg said. I mean, for me, the biggest thing is I want her to be happy and I want her to be healthy. So, it's pretty, pretty basic, but important. Very important. Um, all great answers. No, and, and guys, thank you for digging in with me a little bit and uh, really opening up uh, and, and letting us into what the life is like for T1D parents, even ones who are, you know, very active in the community and, um, and you know, have had sort of a uh, an amazing and inspiring outlook from day one. I think... Um, it's uh, just inspiring to hear how you guys work together um, and, uh, you know, and manage to do all these things with Issa and then also be good, good parents to your other two kids, too, which is, uh, you know, something that sometimes must be very, very difficult, I imagine, especially with triplets and one's T1D. And then, you know, they're all all alike in so many different ways. And then just one, you know, it's so it's a. Uh, I'm sure it's an, a, a delicate balance. So I appreciate you guys taking the time and, uh, you know, really being so open and willing to share. Yeah. Sure. Thank you. Thanks for chatting with us. Yeah. Okay. Thanks for uh, having us on. And thanks for doing what you're doing too. <laughs> oh, well, thank you. I love it. It's uh, it's one of my favorite things. So, um, 
<laughs> you know, being it's shifted my perspective so much to uh, just to be able to share and uh, get to know even for just an hour, uh, you know, some of the other type ones that I, you know, had never had the chance to interact with uh, for the first, you know, 11 years of, uh, of, uh, of my T1D life. So uh, I'm, I'm hopeful that I get to meet more awesome people like you guys. Um, and, you know, I'm going to keep doing what I can do to make sure that that happens. Very cool. Well, thanks, Rob. Yeah, thank you guys. And I just sort of ended the recording. Oh, shoot. Thanks for listening to Diabetics Doing Things. Subscribe to our newsletter for weekly emails and behind-the-scenes content. And if you or someone you know has an amazing story to share, send an email to rob at diabeticsdoingthings.com.